So tonight we are starting a brand new series. It's called Facing the Giants. And um, we have look, we're going to look at four giants that impact our personal lives. The giant look good, the giant feel good, the giant be right, the giant be in control. Anybody feel like we're describing you? You don't have to put your hands up. So let's just start off by reading Deuteronomy 7 from verse 1. It says this, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and, sorry, to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally, make no treaty with them, and show them no mercy." Now, every single promised land has its giants that you're going to have to defeat if you want to take the promised land. And so what is a giant? Well, a giant is anything that keeps you from being the fullness that God created you to be. It's anything that stands in the way of you fulfilling your purpose so that God can fulfill your destiny. It's literally anything that makes you less than what God has called you to be. We're all called to live out our purpose and to generously exercise our gifts, but we also need to gen- diligently confront the giants in our lives. Failing to defeat these giants like the Israelites leads to compromise, brokenness, and destruction. The Lord said in that scripture, make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Who knows that sometimes in our lives we make treaties with things? We make an agreement with something because we are desperate for something, because we need something, and because none of our lives were perfect, we don't know how to ask for what we need. So when something comes our way that feels like it's going to give us what we need, we make a treaty with it. We show it mercy. We contract, if you do this, then I'll do that. But what we don't realize is that when we make treaties with things outside of God, we're always going to come off second best. It kind of seems harsh. Destroy them. Eradicate them. Um, I was listening to an apologist, and somebody was saying, well, isn't God cruel in the Old Testament? He told the Israelites to kill a whole lot of people. And he was like, that is kind of cruel. But when you remember that those very people sacrificed their children by burning them alive on cast iron altars to demon gods so they could have favor and power with those demon gods, you start asking some questions. It's a a rough one. (laughs) But Israel didn't do that. And then you read the book of Judges. You've got to have a strong heart, a strong, strong stomach, and a strong brain to get through the book of Judges. Because it is continually about Israel making treaties, showing mercy to demon gods. And you watch how it just cycles through destruction after destruction. Then God raises a king who comes back to the Lord. Then we make a treaty with a demon god. And so it goes, and so it goes. And so tonight and through the next four weeks, Sundays, we want to encourage you, find that giant in your life and face it. You know, a giant is big, isn't it? That word means big. And so we're scared of them, and so we want to ignore them, we want to pretend they're not there, or we just want to placate them and sacrifice to them. 
but we hope they don't come our way. But you and I, God has called us to stand up and face our giants. There's a whole story about a little man who took out a really big man by faith. You, you, if you went to Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about. Who, who, who were they, for those who aren't sure? <laughs> there we go. And what that story tells us is that with God, there is no giant that can stand against us. And so you have to face your giants. This, the next four weeks, we are going to put up mirrors. We are going to show you your giants. <laughs> well, some of you are really excited. Praise the Lord. The rest of you... <laughs> Woo, put your seatbelts on. So tonight we're talking about the giant look good. So when I heard about the giant look good, it reminded me of this really bad joke I heard many years ago, and I decided that I'm going to inflict it on you, so you better just have mercy on me. So back in the, in the days of the Wild West, there was a rancher who needed a new horse. And he decided to go off to Sacramento to the big horse uh, corral there and buy himself a new horse. And he rocks up at the corral, and he's looking at these horses, and he sees this big six-foot black horse. It's strong. It looks gorgeous. It's exactly what he needs to do his stuff back at home on his ranch. And there's a good old fellow leaning against the fence post, chewing his tobacco. And he says to him, I want that horse. And the guy looks at the horse, and he looks at him. He says, he don't look so good. And the guy says, no, he looks fine. I, I really want that horse. He looks at the horse. He looks at the ranch. He goes, mm-mm. He don't look so good. The guy's like, he has the money, I'm taking the horse. And off he goes with his horse. Who knows, the next day, the good old fellow's leaning against the fence, chewing his tobacco, and here comes the rancher, really upset. And he says to him, the horse you sold me was blind. And the old dude says, I told you he don't look so good. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. If Dane had been up here, he'd have been doing bad puns, so it could have been worse. Um, so we're talking about looking good, but now what we are definitely not saying, now hear us, as I'm talking about look good, I want you to understand this is not what we are saying. It's, we are not saying don't make an effort with your appearance. Please shower, please cut your hair, please buy the clothes, please, okay? Otherwise, you're going to be at church by, behind those glass doors. So, so we're not saying don't make an effort. We are also not saying that if there is something in your physicality, in your body, in your life that, is, that you are unhappy with, that causes you shame or problems or strife, and, it, and you can actually change it or improve it, go ahead and do that. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Sometimes there are just things in our life that make us unhappy, and we can change them in the way we look in our bodies in whatever. Figure that out. So we're not saying don't do that. What we are saying is make sure to examine the deepest motives of your heart so that you eradicate the fear of man that leads us to build up false identities so that we will feel acceptable to God and to others. Are you getting that? Looking good is so important in our society today, isn't it? In our selfie culture, in our Instagram culture, we are all putting up pictures at the best angles, dark lips, the whole toot. Uh, I was laughing so hard this morning, because I don't know if you can see from where you are, but I woke up and I thought I was getting a rash, and then I realized I've got a fever blister on the bridge of my nose. I mean, have you ever in your life? 
So I sent a picture to my family. Who knows I'm not putting that up on Facebook. I mean, nobody wants to see that. But we never put those pictures up. We never put pictures up of us failing, of us looking absolutely horrific, <laughs> of the, the second after our boyfriend left us. We don't do that. And yes, nobody else really wants to see that. But we're creating the space where looking good is absolutely the mode. And I'm all for living your best life, but seriously, sometimes living your best life means suffering through hell for a moment. And we need, and it's just as Siv was saying, then we need to be a community who acknowledges that and stands with you. That's the, 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 like, that's the thing we should be liking a thousand times. And so we need more vulnerability. And so as I was thinking about all of this looking good, I remembered the story of the rich young ruler. It's from Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 22, and it says this. He, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. I have always loved this scripture because I feel so much like the rich young man. Look what I've done, look what I've done, look what I've done. Yeah, but... <laughs> and I love it, the way Jesus has compassion on him, that Jesus looks at him and loves him. And it gives me hope because Jesus is looking at me and loving me, and he's looking at you and he's loving you. But here's the thing, because Jesus loved him, loves me, loves you, he will always tell us the truth. He loves us so much that he will not let us live in a delusion. Because he knows the outcome of that delusion is self-righteousness. And if we do not deal with self-righteousness, the outcome of that is that we lose faith in our God. And so Jesus loves him so much that he tells him, yes, it, it's quite conceivable in this culture that that man actually did keep all the commandments. He didn't murder, he didn't commit adultery, he didn't lie outright. But Jesus very quickly tells him, that is all good and well, but you have built your security your faith, your identity on money. And so every time you obey those commandments, it's really easy for you. Because you go home and your God is right there. <laughs> and that man loved money more than he did God. And because of that, his money did more for him than God did. And you see, the issue of look good is that it is characterized by overconcern for appearance or image rather than character. For those of you who are here when Pastor Bill Bennett preached, he used to say something all the time that I used to hate. But in 30 years of being a Christian, it's been proven over and over and over again that God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. Because all you're going to take with you is your character. 
And so look good is not just concerned with outward appearance, but with creating a reputation that is not established in truth. And for the rich young ruler, that reputation he was fostering was, I uphold all the commandments. You can't find a fault in me. It's not based in truth. Why? Because I'm pretending. I'm masking. An image is exactly that. An image isn't the real thing. So you on Instagram, that most certainly is a picture of you looking fabulous and living your best life, but that image isn't you. If I try to talk to that image, if it talks back to me, there's a big problem. <laughs> Go see someone, not me. But that image isn't you. An image is this continuous thing that I present to the world. Well, why do I do that? Because somewhere inside of myself, my identity is cracked. Somewhere inside of myself, I don't believe I'm good enough. If you look around this room, every single one of us has a version of, I don't have what it takes, and I'm not good enough. And some of you are super skilled at hiding that away. Some of you are super skilled at masking that. Some of you are just super skilled at giving into it and just letting it be an excuse to never try. We all have our stuff. It's a sliding scale of reality. But do not give in to the lie that you are the only one struggling or that you are the only one suffering. Everybody is hiding something away. And I'm not trying to out anybody here, but what I'm trying to say is God can deal with every single thing, with every single one of those things. But like the rich young ruler, you're going to have to trust that when God puts his finger on the issue in your character, that that is his love for you. That is not him shouting at you. That is not him rebuking you. That is him loving you and saying, this thing, I cannot live alongside this thing. In biblical terms, what was happening with the rich young ruler is that his money was his idol. He had made it his security. He had made it his power. And he was trying to look good. And this is church sometimes, isn't it? I love the story because this is how we look good in church. I know the scriptures. I did ministry team training. I'm friends with Sevira and Marsha. <laughs> but where's your soul? Where's your character? You see, the only person who is never, ever fooled is God. <laughs> you can fool me. You can fool serve. I mean, it's hard, but you can. But you can never, ever fool God. And so the issue of look good is that at the end of it, it's about a fear of man. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap that entangles you and makes you fall over in the dirt. Matthew 6 verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let's read that again. It's one of those tough things that Jesus said. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And the fear of man is literally being afraid of what others think of me. And that fear, that fear is, is that they're going to see what I'm hiding. That fear is, is that they're going to come to me and say, actually, you are an idiot, you are useless, you are ugly, you are stupid, you do have no value. Why? Because we're saying that to ourselves all the time. 
and being afraid of what others think of me, why does it rob me from a reward from heaven? Because I stopped being authentic. Because I present God a cardboard copy that is way subpar to who he actually made me to be. And all the reward he has waiting for me, I will never receive because I hide behind a cardboard cutout. Think about that for a minute. The stuff you're upset with God about that he isn't answering, you've got to get authentic to him about your own heart and your own state of being. And then you might decide that the stuff you're actually praying for isn't even what you want. You might realize that God has way better for you. It just costs a lot more than you were hoping. Is somebody bleeding on the front? Is that what's happening? <laughs> Sorry. Like I said, Jesus is loving you right now. He's telling you the truth. He loves you. So we've got to get honest as well. Every single person, I know that there are some of you in this room who don't believe for one second you have any fear of man. <laughs> but every single one of us does because we drift into it. Why? Because the issue of fear of man is love me. Think I'm great so you'll love me. Think I'm great so you'll like me. Think I'm great so you'll partner with me and make me rich. Think I'm great because then you'll give me opportunity to do the thing I want. Think I'm great, think I'm great, think I'm great. There's always a contractual reality. And fear of man is agreeing with a giant. It's, it's making a peace treaty with a giant. And here's the outcome of fear of man. Without even realizing it, we surrender our lives to the opinions of others. We give our authenticity away so you can tell me how I should be. Craig Grishel says this. He says, becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what other people think about you. And as I said, fear of man is submitting my whole life to the opinion of others. Here's the biggest problem with living by the fear of man. What the heck do they want? <laughs> Who knows what they want? We're all doing everything. We're all on YouTube. We're all figuring out what the heck do they want? Because then five seconds, you've just figured out the fashion. And two seconds later, some freak has now started a whole other trend. And the YouTube thing that was trending now is like disaster and ashes, and they've got depressed everywhere. <laughs> and they're drinking. They're not going because they don't have community because everybody's moved to the other one, you know? So what the heck do, do they want? But we live like this. When I was in the States, I saw this happen. About five years ago, I was at Bethel School of, of Worship, and it's out in Reading in California, quite far north. But I was shocked at how hot it was. I mean, daytime was warm through the morning, and then around about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it started soaring up to 35, 38 degrees, and stayed like that till 11 at night, because the sun only sets at 10. It was weird, but hot. There were 500 young people. I was literally one of five over 40s. The average age was 19. And kids had come from all over the world, from all over America, and obviously had also not expected it to be sweltering like it was. I mean, it was hotter than, than Joburg. So a whole lot of kids had not brought shorts and stuff. I had looked at the, at the weather app, because this is what age does for you and not caring <laughs> about trends. So I had taken nothing but shorts, t-shirts, and sandals, um, and I was fine. But on day one, you could see a whole bunch of uncomfortable hipster dudes in their, like, grandpa jerseys, yeah. And, uh, 
you know, their brogues, and it was just hot, and their massive beards. And so one or two of the kids on the second day had taken their chinos and started rolling them up mid-calf and wearing their slops and the, the tank tops, the vest they were wearing under their shirt was now their shirt. And by day three, Target was cleaned out of chinos. You couldn't find a pair of chinos in the whole of Reading. I mean, it's a small town. Why? Because like that, they started a trend. And every kid looked exactly the same. <laughs> I was horrified. Guess what happened in the second week? Some other freaks rocked up and had a slightly different look. I can't even remember now. Within days, the, the entire auditorium looked like they'd all gone to the same school. Because this is what we do. We're so desperate for acceptance. We're so desperate not to stand out. Can I help you tonight and say, if you will not stand up, you have just given away your purpose. Because you are unique, you are uniquely fashioned, and you are uniquely called. And if all you want to do is be somebody else, you're going to be lost forever. So be who God has made you to be. The good news is that God is very upfront with what it takes to please Him. The whole Bible just tells you what it takes to please God. Sometimes we've got to read a little bit between the lines, yes, but mostly he's just upfront. Faith pleases me. I like faith. Kindness and mercy please me. Trusting my son for salvation really pleases me. <laughs> Worshiping me above all else really pleases me. Psalm 33 verse 1 says, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Uncle Don Moen, way back in the day, wrote a song saying, praise looks good on you. That's what the scripture means. Praise is becoming to the upright. When you praise God, you look really, really good to him. And let me, let me help you. That isn't singing songs. This praising of God is recognizing that he is the only audience you actually live your life before. I might see you, society might see you, your family might see you. I can tell you right now, I know one thing about heaven for sure. There is a moment where you, you and I will have an audience with God. To me, it looks a bit like a happy little tea room. God goes, come in, Greg. I go, yay, I sit down. So good to see you. We have a nice hug. It's awesome. <laughs> then God starts loving me. So, Greg... What did you do with what I gave you? Remember when I asked you to do this? Remember when I gave you those gifts and you were supposed to? How did that go? And I start sobbing and sobbing and sobbing <laughs> because I realized how less, how little I lived my life. And then the Bible says he wipes every tear away and we all stand in eternity for heaven. Now, what I am absolutely convinced of in that room, I can say, yes, but my mother, no, but Pastor Siv, but you know those people, and God's like, where are they? I don't care, because guess what? They're going to get an audience with God. And so there really comes a time where you are solely responsible for every choice you make. Our, decision, our, our, our circumstances can be super desperate sometimes. They really can. But are we going to forsake God <laughs> Or are we going to stick to him? And so praise looks good on you. We really look good when God is the only audience that we are performing for. 
And that performance isn't performance. That performance is just being. Because you know what? He has another secret. I don't think any of us are ever more than a three-year-old to God. And if, you know, I, I have friends and they have these babies. Right now, a friend of mine had a baby. And I was teasing him. And I, a week into it, I was teasing him. So how sleepy. He was like, there is no sleep. And then immediately he sent me a picture of his little baby son pooing into a nappy. And he was like, he just crawls into your heart. And I was like, that is just disgusting. <laughs> but I've seen this over and over and over. Guess what? For 15 years, that child is going to do squat for the family. Let's just get honest. It is going to bring nothing of value. <laughs> to the family, but at seven days old, that is the most important part of the family. Pooing makes, when that child poos, it makes them happy. They love it so much. Are you getting what I'm saying? And sometimes I don't think we're ever more than three-year-olds to God. What I mean by that is, that, have you ever had a three-year-old try to help you with dishes? There is no helping. Am I right? But we love it, and it's cute, and we work with them, and we're so excited, and we say, good girl, well done, good boy, we're so proud of you. You've just made the dog drown, but we think you're amazing. And I mean, I'm using very human terms, but are you getting where I'm going with this? You see, the whole point of life is to partner with God. You are all so desperate about your dreams and destinies. God is always going to be the senior pastor. God gave you your dream because it's his dream. And you get to partner with him to see it come about. Some of you just want to write a play. Well, yes, write the play. But understand, it's God's play. And stop taking yourself so seriously. I've realized in my life, I don't step out and do things because I think it's all up to me. And then psychologically, I get all stressed out and freaked out. And then I pray and pray and pray and don't do anything. When I started realizing, but actually it's God, stuff started happening in my life. And sometimes the play you're going to write will be performed in heaven, not on earth. No, I'm serious. So I love writing songs, and I've been writing songs for years. We never sing my songs. <laughs> I'm not, no, I want to help you here. So sometimes I have prophetic experiences, okay, and they're never particularly wild, but this one time I was praying, and I just felt like I was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and I could see his feet on the throne, and it was beautiful. And I was just having this beautiful friendship moment with Jesus, and all I could see was his feet. And I was having a cry, because, you know, that's, that's what you do when you're in heaven. And I was having a good cry, and Jesus was loving me, and it was great. And suddenly I heard the singing and the song, and I realized it was a song I'd written. And God said, oh, we love that song here. It's never going to get heard on earth. Nobody's ever going to. But in heaven, they love it. But here's the thing. If I never wrote that song with its dodge rhyme and its three chords, <laughs> angels couldn't make it amazing. And, and so I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. Write that play. But maybe it'll only be performed in heaven. But that doesn't make you less. That does not make you a failure. See, God delights in you, and sometimes he just wants you to do things so he can delight. I hate those prophecies. God just loves it when you sing to him. I want to sing to the world. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, 
Mariah Carey might sing to the world today, but one day, the biggest part of her life, if, you know, she makes it, is going to be singing to God. I mean, let's hope she makes it. Somebody pray for Mariah Carey. Okay, enough of all of that. But are you getting where I'm going? We get so caught up in what we must do and who we must be and how we must present. But actually, everything you, every gift you have is from God. Every gift you have is for Him. If you're going to do it on earth, do it the best you can. But it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be good enough in the sense of making you something. <laughs> but it's worth doing. Recently, I realized I'm getting old. I'm 46, and so lying on a couch is really fun to do. And once I lie on the couch, I don't go anywhere else. And then I realized, oh my goodness, five months has gone past and I've really not done a lot. I mean, I go to work and I do my thing. And so then I thought, okay, I'm going to say yes to things. <laughs> and then, guess what? When I said yes to things, I actually had to do things. I actually had to get off the couch and like do something. But I've loved it because I've realized doing something is better than not doing something. And I mean, I'm balancing it. I'm not being ridiculous. But I've got to meet new people, I've got to have new experiences, I've got to stay up past half past 12, it's been amazing. <laughs> and so we overcome what other people think about us when we live for the audience of one. When we live for the audience of one, we become obsessed with what God thinks about us and we forget what man thinks about us. And so the rich young ruler was a story that we are very familiar with, but now I want to share one about how do we overcome the giant looked good. So Matthew 1 verse 18 to 20 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to descend her away quietly. But when he had considered this, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So that's usually a Christmas story, but this story is about looking good. When you're betrothed, now in Jewish culture of the day, betrothal meant you were married, almost. It meant nobody, you were not going to have any other partner. And so when the time was right, you would consummate that marriage and you would be fully, legally, physically, emotionally married. But there was no other option for Mary but Joseph, and there was no other option for Joseph but Mary. And so in, in some of the translations that talks about it, he, he thought that he would divorce her quietly. In Jewish culture, a divorced woman was anathema, meaning she had no recourse. The woman caught in adultery was very likely a divorced woman. So her husband decided he didn't want her because that could happen. Jesus actually rebukes them for that because they made weird laws where God said, I hate divorce. They said, no, it's okay, we'll figure it out. And so all she could be was a prostitute. And so Joseph loved Mary. He cared for her. And so he thought, because let's face it, um, Joseph, <laughs> so like I'm pregnant. But it was the Holy Spirit. That just sounds like church girl excuses. Am I right? No, but seriously, it, I had this powerful moment with God. Um, I mean, what it, <laughs> so that's why, it's like, he doesn't shout at her, he's just like, yeah, okay, great, woo! Now, looking good for Joseph, see, Joseph would have come out of this looking good anyway. In fact, way better, because he could have said, because he's the injured partner. She's pregnant, it's not his baby, he's totally right. 
totally justified. In fact, people are going to look at him weird if he doesn't, because she's scandalous. We can't possibly tolerate that in our society. And so Joseph is suddenly faced with a decision. Is he going to do what's right, or is he going to do what looks good? And he thinks about doing what looks good. But he kind of likes Mary, so he's going to try and figure out how she doesn't get stoned to death tomorrow. And then he has a dream, and the Lord appears to him in the dream. And it's a warning, and it says, Joseph, don't be scared to marry Mary, because that is the Holy Spirit's baby. That's still a lot of faith. And Joseph had to wake up in the morning and go, am I going to obey God or aren't I? And all that pressure, all that societal pressure, am I going to look good or am I going to do what's right? Am I going to look good or am I going to do what's right? And I was talking to Sylvan. I think, yes, Joseph loved Mary. But I think he loved God more. And so he knew that there was actually only one option, and that was to obey God. And let's get honest. We know the story. They had to go all the way to Bethlehem for that baby to be born. Then then Herod wanted to kill him, so they had to go to Egypt. I think, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but we know people, don't we? Who grew up in a village? Who grew up in a village? Anybody? Or a small town? Who grew up in a village or a small town? You knew everybody's business. Hey? So Joseph and Mary come back six years later. Everybody knows. And for the rest of Joseph's life, the whisperings. But he kept choosing what was right. Now, we don't know what happened to Joseph. It would appear that he died. Now, think about that, actually, how fantastic God is. Like, Jesus had a stepdad who died when he was young. Like, God knows our lives. God knows our lives. In any case, that's just an aside. But Joseph had to learn one of the most important life lessons there is to learn. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Now get this. Get this. Young ladies. Yes, but if I don't sleep with him, Pastor, he's not going to love me. So please God or please your boyfriend. There's, there's only two choices. Yes, but Pastor, you don't understand. My, mother, my community wanted me to be an accountant, but I really want to study drama. Please God, please people. But, but pastor, my parents, well, please God, please people. Now, now hear me, I'm being, this is strong, but there are always ways to honor and respect and please God until they aren't. And then literally what's going to happen is you're going to see this is not God's will for my life. And then you have to choose to please God. You know, there are nations in this world where you, when you accept Jesus Christ, actually when you get baptized, you will die. Your family will cut you off like you're dead. Those are some of the fastest growing, those are some of the fastest uh, proselytizing. Oh, my English has forsaken me. People are becoming Christians more in those countries (laughs) than in others. Think about that for a minute. If somebody walked in here right now and said, who thinks Jesus Christ is Lord? But before you answer, I'm going to shoot dead those who do. What are we going to do? This has happened. But this is Joseph. Joseph could have been stoned for marrying Mary because it was against the law. Are we going to disappoint people or are we going to do what they want us to do? So how do we live for God and not for people? So Craig Grishel says again, if you are not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you are not yet ready to be used by God. See, the more you do, the more pain you feel. The more you do, the more opportunity there is for somebody else to criticize you. 
for yourself to criticize you. The more you do, the more risk there is of failing. I can tell you, failing doesn't exist in God's economy. The only failure is not trying. The only failure is refusing to have faith. In my prophetic journey, I have made, I, I was saying every, every mistake, and then God rebuked me and said, no, you, you're, you're not dead yet, so you're still going to make mistakes. And I was like, okay, yes, I'll, I'll receive that. So what I say now is I've made a lot of mistakes, but every single mistake I made taught me how to do it better. Every single mistake I made, it made got me vulnerable and asked people, what was wrong? Why did, why did it happen? Oh, okay, I, I didn't love enough. I didn't. So every time I prophesy, there's a risk that I could fail. But because I've actually had some success and seen the blessing that it brings to people, I want to do it. And God and I are like, God, I want to do it really well. So if I need to fail to get there, let, let's happen. I'll, I'll live through it. I hate looking like an idiot. I hate looking like a fool, especially in that space. But I realize if I will not risk it every single time I speak, I will not grow and I will not learn. And whatever your thing is, it's the same. If you won't risk, you will not grow. If you won't risk criticism and adversity, you will not grow. And I want to say this. Um, I think he also said this, Craig Grishel, um, anything significant you do will be met with resistance. So when you get resistance, stop rebuking the devil. Stop doing a 40-day fast. Go to the mirror and tell yourself, I'm doing something significant. Then give God a high five, get excited, and keep going. No, seriously, you're not believing me, are you? Resistance is not the devil. Resistance is just what happens when good people do good things. Because we make everybody else feel guilty. Because <laughs> we make other people feel their shame. Because everybody wants significance. But if you are the only one in a group trying to go for it, it's going to cause massive ruptures. You keep going. Ron Canoli, I don't know, one of his pastors told him, when you're going through hell, don't stop. And when you catch hell, which means when, when trouble comes your way because of what you're doing, don't hold it. And so tonight, I think some of you are realizing that maybe the giant look good has had some space in your life. That maybe you haven't been vulnerable enough with yourself and with God. Maybe even as I was talking, some of you realize, but that prayer I keep praying that I'm so frustrated about, it's because I want it for something in me. I don't actually want it for God. And really, the simplest thing is to just praise him and just be willing to, if all you look good to is God, that that's enough. And so maybe where you are, just quietly, just take a minute and just say, God, I want to praise you. I want to live for an audience. But think about the consequences of that. What might have to change tomorrow? And remember what I said, praising God is submitting fully to him. And submitting takes humility. Submission takes, God, I don't know. I'm not right. Humility means, God, you have all the answers, and I don't even know what I don't know. So maybe think about that for a moment. Are you willing to humble yourself before God? You don't have to know the full outcome to take the first step. In fact, when it comes to purpose and destiny, you will never know the outcome. But God still wants you to take the first step. And that requires a lot of humility. So let's pray for that together. Pray for yourself. Pray for all of us in this room. Father, would you come right now and humble our hearts? God, your word says that when we humble ourselves before you, you lift us up. You exalt us, God.
And God, we are tired of trying to prove to others that we matter and that we're worthy. We are exhausted of that this evening, Lord God. And we say we're gonna humble ourselves before you so you can lift us up as and when and how it best pleases you. And that's what living before an audience of one means. I don't exalt myself. I don't promote myself. I trust that you hold my destiny and my purpose. And just make a fresh commitment in your heart to humility, to submission, to praising God first and foremost. You are the only God we have, Lord. Every other idol bows before you. And right now, God, like that rich young ruler, God, we recognize those things that we think give us identity, give us purpose. And we bring them before you. And I thank you, Lord, that you are going to put those things away for us, Lord God. That we're going to see you more clearly. And that we're going to love you with all our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.